This is the S Podcast. This is a boxing edition podcast. I'm gonna keep those going for a little bit. I'm gonna separate the boxing MMA. But talking to my dad, he says, "Why do that? Just put it all together at one." I agree. Uh, me, I wouldn't mind if I'm turning on a podcast and I hear some boxing and MMA. But you know, it's, it's you animals. You animals don't like it. You guys want only boxing, or you want only MMA. So I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna give it to you like how you want it. Who am I? Who am I to decide what people like? I just know what I like. I don't mind it. Great fight this weekend. Fight of the year so far. I know we're only in March, but for a fight to say, you know, if someone's told me right now that this is not going to be fight of the year, there's going to be a fight that surpasses this fight that we saw. That'd be unbelievable to me, right? That's, that's, it means we're are in for something so great, right? We're in for a fight so great that's going to tell such a story because for me, fight of the year has to tell a story. And Lay Wood versus Michael Conlon told a story. It did. It told a story. It told a story about Lay Wood who had some had success, right? Had an upset, had discovered something about himself in his last fight. They had built confidence with a new trainer, Ben Davidson. And what he had discovered and what had worked for him in that fight, when's it going to work in this fight? And it was Michael Conlon who... Maybe people weren't high on, right? Never really thought that he'd get that big win that would be a win over Laywood, right? And people never thought that, but he ends up getting a fight against Laywood and ends up being a horrible matchup for Laywood. And as the end, to start off the fight, Michael Collin lands a big left hand that drops Laywood. It not just drops him, not a flash, like, I mean, out on his feet for a second. Then gets to boxing and Laywood has. No answer for the movement. And now everything the label was confident in, right, that he had discovered was no longer going to work in this fight. And he was going to have to find a new way to fight this fight, right? A new way to get to Michael Conlon. And Conlon was on his A game. It was a, it was the best I've ever seen him look. The, this, the tactics that he came in with were obviously working the, you know, the um, switching... Uh, his motion as if like he bent over, then he would go to the body with the left hand, but then he would go bent. He would he would dip down and go to the head, and just having like Laywood just super uh, extremely guessing with his right hand, like whether he was gonna, you know, pull it out for, to block the body shot or keep it up to his chin to block his head. You know, bad habits by Laywood, which gets him caught in the fight. And Colin looks like he's gonna, you know, first half of the fight looks like he's gonna run away with it. Right, it looks like he's just going to outbox him. Uh, you see that his big shots are landing with his left hand, and he has to put a lot behind that left hand. Another thing, interesting thing, is that Colin really in a lot of other previous fights and fights that I broke down for this one, is he doesn't really commit with his left hand like how he does in this fight. Like that just was a a genius thing that they just threw in there. Was just like we are going to commit. We're going to actually throw this a very wide motion to get all the power you can have and you can get out of your left hand. We're going to get it in with this kind of motion. And it works. It works to a T. But the second half of the fight comes, and I'm not really scoring the fight. I'm just kind of watching it. I'm just kind of enjoying it, just kind of studying what's happening. But I'm not scoring it. But I start noticing the second half of the fight. I'm like, oh, this round's getting a little bit closer. I mean, then you start like, oh, Lakewood's kind of winning some of these rounds. And then it's like, this fight might actually be tight. Like, going to 10th, 11th, I'm like, oh, this might be a close fight. This might be a tight fight. And then you see the Collins' legs are, are not what they were in the beginning of the fight. They're just not 
able to get him out of the spots and he's getting stuck against the ropes a lot more often and Laywood is no longer punching from too far away. He's taking two steps in to get in the comfort zone where he wants to be and Collins kind of playing the game against the ropes and it works at times and then at times you're like, but he's getting caught a little bit. And it's funny because one thing Ben Davidson said, well, as soon as he got dropped, right? I think it was like going to the second or might be at the end of the second. He says like, hey, the straight right is going to beat that looping left, right? He says that straight right. And things like what he doesn't really throw like an effective straight right. Like I wouldn't say that's like a part of his offense or like his go-to of his offense. It isn't. Now he does throw a lot of right hands, but he likes to loop them. He kind of likes to do what Colin was doing to him with his left hand. Laywood kind of likes to do that, but he started throwing it right. And I, even when he was throwing it straight earlier in the fight, I was like, oh, it kind of feels forced. Kind of feels like he's not like too comfortable with it. It's not something he throws often. And he goes back to it. And in the 12th round, which round he definitely needs. Now, I feel like the fight's close, but I, I definitely think like he has not, he's not really in a position to really give up any rounds in the fight. He, he gets uh, Colin stuck against the ropes and Colin's obviously, uh, tired he's obviously fatigued at this point he's definitely uh he can be reached at this point and Laywood just lands a perfect straight right that Colin kind of like moves into and Colin's out cold through the ropes what an ending the 12th round it's over immediately Laywood pulls out the performance of his life uh, the fight of his life right that for both men like I said his candidate fight of the year um, knockout of the year, just great, just unbelievable. And it's funny how this can happen if just like two top guys fight each other. If we had two top guys fight each other in every division, right? For like every week, you just need two top guys to fight each other. You would get this way more often. Now, I'm not saying the fight would be this great, but you would just get competitive fights, entertaining fights, and fights that told a story. And that's what this fight did. And I feel for Michael Collin, who, you know, fought an amazing fight like it really nothing to be ashamed of in this fight now he, he just didn't have the uh the energy in his legs to to keep it going right to, to seal the deal to finish through the finish line he, he couldn't do that right he didn't have that and they would didn't allow the the you know the kind of one-sidedness of the first half of the fight to really deter him like he just kind of kept working didn't wasn't looking for the one big shot, which is kind of working in there. And when in the shot came, and that's way more effective than just like I'm gonna focus on this one big shot, I'm gonna land the one big shot, and I'm gonna keep throwing it and it's get predictable. No, he just kind of kept working, and the shot just appeared. It kind of just came to him, and he gets a big, massive win in a massive fight, and and it felt like a big fight at the crowd. The crowd was crazy for it. I I really enjoyed it. I have nothing negative to say about it, and I. Only in, in that division where I don't feel like there's a true champion, right? Because Lil Santa Cruz don't fight anymore. And, um, uh, what am I forgetting his name? Um, what do I, I could, who did Max Hyde just beat? Sometimes I just blank, you know, it's going live, but I'm not, I'm not going to edit it. I'm just going to leave it in there. Gary Russell. Gary Russell just lost to Max Isle. So I don't really feel like there's a true champion. I feel like there's a bunch of guys that could take the crown. Uh, I think Laywood and uh, Colin answers one part of the question. Now, Laywood could fight the winner of uh, Kiko Martinez versus um, versus Josh Warrington. And I would love, I think Josh Warrington wins that fight. I think Josh Warrington versus Laywood is a huge fight. I think Marisha Laura's right there. Could get really interesting. It really depends like who has the most guys at a weight division on their promotion so they can make these fights. I know that Collins with uh, top rank I assume that he will be going forward but if they don't really have anything for him and I don't really think they do um why not keep him here and fight Mauricio Laura 
right? And if you can get a rematch late with, then go ahead. I I don't think that they're going to go that direction. But if they could, then I, I want to see it. But why not like a Marisa Laura type, right? There's a, there's a lot of fights here on DAZN, right, that maybe uh, they can work out because I don't think Colin is a big, massive payday. I don't think he has demands that kind of money to where they can make it make sense in a way, right? And I know that maybe that's going to lead to a conversation with Mangi and Charlo, and I'll talk about that right now, but as far as this fight, I would love for Colin to stay there. I think he's very good. I think he, I know he was knocked out devastating fashion, but he was, showed things I didn't know really had, and he, he looked very good in this fight. I was very impressed. Laywood pulled out a performance that he really needed. I did see some, you know, things that maybe will be a problem for him, which I predicted before this fight as far as the movement and as far as him being able to, you know, cutting off the ring and getting in a position where he could set up his offense. I could see that being a problem for him going forward. He's not going to have to deal with Josh Warrington. Okay, Josh Warrington needs to um, sit and flurry. And Laywood likes to catch it when you do that. So I think that's a still another great fight. There's nothing but really great fights for Laywood going forward. And if Leo Santa Cruz really does want to get in the picture for this fight, um, they could do that too. Now, I think that would be probably, I'd favor probably Leo Santa Cruz pretty big in that. But, you know, I picked against Laywood twice and he's proven me wrong twice. So, you know, I've been wrong on Laywood before. I could be wrong on him again. I wouldn't be surprised. This guy, uh, this guy seems to have figured out something. He's definitely confident. He's definitely uh, not a guy that you know will. If things go negative, like he's gonna fold. He he didn't. He could have folded in this fight. He didn't fold. I, I thought he looked excellent. I thought that both guys did. And I don't think that this diminishes one guy. I think it raises both of them up in this kind of performance. That's what happens when you fight good fighters. That's what happens when you fight top guys in a division. Is that. It's not hurt you, right? It doesn't. Ne- I don't make you think negative. I think higher of you. I think higher of uh, Caleb Plant since he fought Canelo, right? Even though he lost, he got knocked out. I saw things in there that I was like, ah, oh, he's at a, he's at a high level. He's a high level fighter. These are two guys that I feel like are at a really good level in boxing, and I'm curious to see where they go forward, um, what they do going forward. And I feel like their names are bigger. I feel like they have uh, a better spot in the sport now. Now that this fight had happened. On the undercard, um, you have a, a the fight that I want to talk about is Gary Coley versus Miguel Vasquez. And I, I broke this fight down. I told you that uh, Gary Coley was going to stop Miguel Vasquez. He did it a lot sooner than I thought he would. Um, he was outboxed Miguel Vasquez. I don't think that was really a problem for him. I did think that there was a lot of movement going on. So, like, he was able to outbox him. But, you know, it wasn't he wasn't doing anything to really sit, stop Miguel Vasquez from coming forward. And if you're a good boxer, right, even great boxer, you, you still have to implement stuff that you know holds people off you right you can't just allow them to keep coming forward without really punishing for it because then they could just keep taking chances and if you allow good fighters professional fighters to keep taking chances eventually one of those chances is going to pay off so right when i say that your coley starts sitting on his stuff right he starts making miguel vasquez earn his ground and once he starts doing that miguel vasquez folds and he Miguel Vasquez is way past his prime. I said that going into this fight. It's not the Miguel Vasquez you remember or, you know, the, the level that he once was. So, Kirikoli, I felt like, could stop him and should stop him, but he did what he needed to do. That's what this performance needed to look like. It needed to look like he was superior to him. His ability was beyond Miguel Vasquez, and that's what it was. That's exactly what it looked like. I'm very excited for Kirikoli. I think that I see something uh, special in this guy, that he could be a very, very high-level fighter. He's very big. He's very long. He's a good boxer. He's defensively aware. 
offensively has a lot of weapons and he's loose. He's like has rhythm. He's not just stiff. He's not like that basic European style. Sometimes you get well, you got top prospect, but he's like very stiff, and it's like, mm, you know, is it going to be the elements of his game that are needed to? You know, compete at the highest level. I see things in Cole where I'm like, this guy could be very good. Now, the way they bring him up is going to be a very interesting, right? Uh, he's not ready for the top, top guys right now. He's not. But if you bring him up little by little, and every time you're improving and the guys get a little bit tougher, a little more confident that they can win the fight, that's going to be best for him because it's going to race his game and he's going to tighten up. I'm really high on Gary Cole. I think we're going to see him in some world title fights. I think you're going to see him in some interesting matchups. And he's going to be a problem. He's going to be a problem at this weight division. Maybe not for two to three years, but it's coming. We need to talk about the Charlo Munguia situation. And I feel like I'm the only guy with a, a reasonable take on this. And it's weird that uh, a lot of people I respect on boxing Twitter, everyone just kind of has like, the same opinion, it's in, or if you don't have the opinion that it seems like everyone has, you're like real opposite the other way. And it's like, I feel like you don't have to take sides on this one. I really don't. And I, I feel like that in most things in boxing, you don't really need to take a side. I'm going to tell you what's happening. I mean, to me, it's pretty obvious, right? That I feel like Golden Boy, and maybe it wasn't Golden Boy, right? Maybe it was Monkey and his team that he has another promoter was uh, Zan, Zanfer, I believe they're called. They negotiated a deal with Charlo. Right, and I get, I'm guessing the Showtime was under the understanding that they didn't need Golden Boy or they didn't need the zone, that they were free agents and they were free to do what they want and I'm going to make you give you your biggest payday so there should not be a problem why this fight shouldn't happen. And then Golden Boy gets involved, right? And supposedly the deal is that they were going to give Munguia's side, you know, like the rights to do it in Mexico or, you know, or they have other countries buy in. It was, it was something like that. But you got to remember that he has two promoters and Zanfer uh, being his promoter in Mexico. So obviously they would take that cut, that portion of the what is being offered. So now Golden Boy's like, well, I have the U.S. deal and I have the U.S. rights to him and I've put a lot of money in Magia and I've put a lot of time into him and I'm not just going to hand him over, right? When I've only have three stars. Now people are trying to tell me that Zerto's a star for a Golden Boy. Not there. We're not there yet. I, hasn't, I have no proof of that. I think he has a very low ceiling of being a star, but... When you have three stars, and it's Virgil Ortiz, who's going to fight this week and coming up. Ryan Garcia is going to fight in a couple weeks. And Munguia. And now you may tell me, like, Munguia's not that big a star. But they feel like he has a high ceiling. And when you feel like you have a top prospect, right? When a player gets drafted in the NBA, whether he shows he's good or not, people rate him high because it's the unknown with him, right? We don't know what level he's at, and it could be very high. That's what Munguia is. We don't know what level of star he is, but he could be very high. And that's what Golden Boy feels like. And they're not going to just let... Someone go to uh, one of their guys that could be a possible star, one of the guys that their business is kind of built on, just go to Showtime and the BBC and just go there for free, right? Just take a chance. Just go. Take our guy. They're not going to do that. It's a, They're not managers. They're promoters. And a promoter's job is to promote his fighters, right, for his business. These They're not just – if that was the way it worked, then everyone's a basically a free agent, right, as long as you could pay them their highest payday. So – then that means that the zone could go offer could go offer um, Tank Davis his highest payday and be like, oh, it's fine, just come fight over here. You think PBC or you think Showtime or all of them are going to be cool with that? You think that's what's going to happen? You think the money teams will be like, yeah, we're going to do that? No, that's not going to happen because he has a deal with the, with PBC. He has a deal with Showtime. He has a deal with promoters with TMT. And that 
what so we just got to look past the deal now that now these deals we're just going to be outraged when someone has to honor their contract and the business requires the guy that they invested money in to honor their contract and stay on their side of the street come on we can't forget you know we don't do that to everyone we can't we got to keep it 100% down the line and call what it is right this fight was a long shot and I remember when they announced it and they said, like, oh, this fight's going to happen. I was like, oh, he must be a free agent. He must not have Golden Boy because it doesn't make any sense for Golden Boy to do this. And I was right. Golden Boy wasn't at least not a part of it early or wasn't negotiating, you know, on good faith early and realized and knew that they had his own and knew that they wanted to make money off the fight and knew that they wanted a joint pay-per-view or a joint event or whatever the hell they wanted. They wanted that. Now, do I want to see my game versus Charlo? Of course. And do I give a damn what network it's on? I don't. Now, I do really like the Showtime uh, broadcast team. I, I'll be honest with you. I do. I think they're the best in the biz. But I don't really give a damn where it's on. I just want to watch it. But I'm not going to act like I don't get what's happening. I get what's happening. I'm explaining to you what's happening. I get what's happening. And in any business, if you put money into something, you don't just give it to another business and say, okay, you make money off of it now. No, no, no. I put the money into it. I want to make money. Now, that's not saying that I agree with everything Golden Boy does. I don't. And I think Golden Boy could screw this up royally where they don't have a fight for Mangia. They don't have an idea or a backup plan or a direction they're taking him. But I just know in this part, I'm not surprised or stunned or shocked that they don't want someone, an investment that they put in for someone else to make money off of it and them just be left down the cold. I'm sorry, I'm not. And that's boxing. It's a business and it gives us a lot to talk about, mostly business news and sometimes not enough fights and not enough interesting stories in the ring are happening, but a lot of interesting stories are happening on the outside and this is no no other case. This is no different than any other case like that. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ra podcast. Real quick though, I do want to say rest in peace, Razor Ramon. You know what? And I shouldn't end the podcast. I should have started off with this, but let me just end this with this. Razor Ramon, if I can explain, wrestling has always been a, a thing of outrageous characters, right? And like in the 80s, early 90s, it was outrageous characters. You have a guy that's like a cop and a guy that's a teacher. And it, that, that really was. It was real gimmicky like that. Razor Ramon, well, was a gimmick, right? He was supposed to be like a Cuban. Uh, cartel type guy that was really got the idea it was like Scarface right they kind of got the idea for that right like he was like the machismo and all that but he, he kind of was something else too though right like he was kind of just like he was outrageous but to the point where he like wasn't outrageous like he was just cool like this is like wait 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 this is just cool like this guy's just kind of dope right like he's just kind of watching him like I just kind of want to be this guy I, and you know, like even like he didn't have like the greatest success in WWE. He wasn't like ever a WWF champ. He was an intercontinental champ. But when he's on the camera, you tell he stole the camera. The guy just had the it factor. And then he goes to the WCW, right? And he doesn't do an act. He's just kind of I'm cool type of like character, right? And I'm and he's not giving promos like everyone else is giving promos, and he's kind of just talking. And this changes the whole game of what goes on going going forward for like the WWF, WCW, for wrestling in general. And this guy, now like to me, 
if you're going to watch guys, you want to be a, a guy that talks in MMA, right? Guy that talks in boxing. You want to be give good uh, interviews and all that and have uh, personality and know how to own uh, a mic when you talk on it, especially when it comes to fighting. You got to go back and watch The Rock. You got to go back and watch Razor Ramon. You got to go back and watch when he's Scott Hall, NWO. This guy is a foundation of a change of the way people were acting as wrestlers they were no longer had to be extreme characters he was kind of just giving you the real and he was talking to you and he didn't have to go outrageous with it and it really changed the game and it was the guy that you know was my fa- first favorite wrestler ever was Razor Ramon and I just think that these things all tie in there's a reason why people that like boxing MMA they like wrestling they're, these things all tie in because they're like you like big personalities big characters and people that do things uh you know at a do things big and do things kind of uh beyond imagination right that's kind of like Razor Ramon was Scott Hall and I, you know just a legend that will never be for, forgot forgotten in like wrestling and probably has reaches way beyond wrestling Thank you guys for listening.